Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete Podcast. Today's guest is with Marie Leconte. She is a journalist living in London and she was previously the Evening Standards political diarist and also BuzzFeed's media and politics correspondent before going freelance a few years ago. Since then, she's written for a wide variety of newspapers and magazines and has also appeared on the Today programme, Newsnight, even the House of Commons. She was one of Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2018 and her first book is out now. It's called Haven't You Heard, where Marie looks at the role of gossip in politics, the whispers and the tittle-tattle that plays out in all areas of politics, from the MPs and their advisors to the press who cover the stories and the civil servants in the middle of it all. I really loved this book and hearing more about the behind the scenes of it all, learning all about the boozy nights and the rows that people have and all of the dark secrets that never really make it to the light of day. Marie explores in great and very entertaining detail the human side of the people running the country and just more of an insight into the political mayhem. It was really interesting to chat to Marie about politics and the way it's covered in the British media and uh, why people are so kind of interested in the Westminster gossip. I enjoyed this episode. I really went in kind of knowing nothing and just asking Marie a lot of random questions, really. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this one. And if you did, please leave a review or a rating or tweet us. It'd be great to hear what you think. So I hope you enjoy. And here it is. It's so nice to meet you in person because I have followed your work for a while and it's always that nice moment of when you meet someone, not a pixelated version. It's lovely. I know that you were in student activism and you found like that was the fire that got you going with campaigns and political writing. But how did you get to where you are now? That's a good question, actually. I guess the, I'm not going to do the super long version, the quite quick version is that, um, so I moved to the UK in 2009. Uh, So I'm French originally, so I moved here to do a journalism degree. So I didn't really care about politics because I was quite young anyway. And so there was the 2010 election which I knew was happening, but I didn't massively care about it. But the day of the election actually happened to be uh, the same day as the end of my first year at university. And this guy really fancied was playing a gig and I was like, okay, so I'll go with some friends and get very drunk. And so we did that. And then the guy after the gig was like, hey, by the way, like I'm doing an after party at my house if you want to come. And I was like, oh my God, this is finally going to happen. So again, not caring about the election unfolding at all. And so a bunch of us ended up going to his house and then immediately as we got there, he started chirping another girl and kind of getting off with her. And I was like, ah, this is uncomfortable and awkward and I know no one here oh, um, no. and the telly was on in the background and I was like you know what I have nothing else to do and it's too far for me to go home so I'll just see what's on telly and so I accidentally ended up watching the election all night which is sort of funny but also quite tragic um, and then I was like this is super fun I'm really into this um, so that's kind of how I got into politics and then so I you know that's kind of where I got the interest in it then yeah so then I kind of got swept up in the student protests in 2010 2011 the kind of like you know fees stuff which actually was very fun protesting is very fun I'm not sure if you should say that but you know, so I kind of did that um, for a while and then so graduated in 2013 and again sort of like quite randomly so basically so yeah I graduated panicked a bit because like, how does one even get into journalism and I'd been rejected from all the like graduate schemes and stuff but then a friend of a friend got in touch was like hey uh, we met like once in the pub I work on the picture desk of the Telegraph I'm going on a holiday for two weeks I really need someone to replace me because we've got no one and I was like oh sure I can teach myself Photoshop <laughs> so I kind of did that for a few weeks and then the picture editor was like look we need someone part-time do you want to stick around that's kind of how I got my foot in the door doing picture desk at the Telegraph and then in 2015 
I ended up at the Evening Standard Diary Desk, the Londoner's Diary. So iconic, that, those um, pages. It is so fun. And yeah, and so obviously they're kind of doing, you know, so it's like social columns are going out and like society gossip, publishing political gossip, society gossip, etc. And yeah, and that's kind of when I was like, okay, no, fine, I found it now. I found the thing I really, really enjoy. So I kind of dug my nails into the desk and didn't leave until eventually they offered me a job, like a full-time job there. Such a nice um, feeling when you're like, oh, this is what I like. It was, yeah, no, exactly. After spending as well quite a long time doing lots of very random different things. Mm. Um, so, but mostly, so I ended up doing more and more just political, like political gossip stuff. And yeah, and then I wrote a book and now here I am. That's amazing. I actually really love how full circle that sounds with how in the pub and at the parties, you kind of got information and it kind of set you on your tracks. You wrote such an amazing piece for The Guardian that the listeners should go and check out as well about how we should bring back the gossip column. And at first I was like, oh, I always thought they were quite negative or we shouldn't have them. And then I read your piece and I was like, no, they actually kind of matter like when when it comes to journalism would you be able to talk a little bit about that about gossip and and why you are interested in it so much oh yeah sure well I guess so kind of starting to the piece was kind of yeah about diary columns and the fact that every newspaper used to have a diary column that you know people read and people talked about and that there are still definitely some diary columns that exist and they're quite good but I think they've kind of lost their place of pride within like the newspaper industry but it's what I quite like about the diary is that as opposed to on the one side I suppose if you've got news it is very much about the journalist in another platform you know kind of saying and this you know reader this is what happened you know, we're just giving you the facts and we're just telling you, you know, X person said this, etc. Whereas the diary, and I think that's how it was described actually by my former boss, Joy Lodico, is more like it's a dinner party thing. So it's written both in terms of tone and content as, you know, someone turning around to you basically at dinner party and saying, oh, by the way, you know, did you hear that this happened? Or like, oh my God, I was at this thing the other night and you'll never guess, you know, um, I don't know, yeah, this minister was actually trying to like drunkenly talk to this artist or whatever. So it's, it's a lot more conversational. But also I think there's a sense of mischief, which we're missing at the moment. And I guess the argument I was trying to make in that piece, actually is that people think often that if we live in you know quite serious times and polarized and kind of like grave you know and actually quite bleak times to be honest I think at the moment we can definitely say that Mm. kind of everything that's going on is bad there's a spectrum of badness but everything is pretty much bad yeah it's like the light relief Um, and a little bit yeah and then it's exactly so I think we actually need more than ever stuff that's a bit you know just trying to create a bit of chaos just a bit of drama but just for fun like just quite you know trying to basically have a nice time trying to have a fun time and trying to like annoy people a bit but never being mean I think like the best gossip is never very mean. It can be quite shocking. The ones that just sprung to mind when you said that were the pop bitch Mm. newsletter. I don't know if that still goes on, does it? Uh, It does. It absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. And Um, Private Eye. Yes. And I guess everyone knows that one. But they're great. And actually, I've been mentioning Private Eye twice now and I'm like... People are like, ha ha, look at this. But it's never, I'm never that offended, actually. It's more like a little kind of tongue-in-cheek thing. It is, and I think it's a sign that you've made it as well, if Private Eye writes about you. Really? Yeah. I was just, like, really embarrassed and thought I was a laughingstock. <laughs> <laughs> but even Pop Bitch, so what I really like about them is, again, I think that sense of just creating a bit of drama but not trying to be too mean. And, like, cause I interviewed them for the book, and one of the bits which I found quite interesting is that so they do quite a lot of stories about, especially politicians and the... How do I put this in a way that <laughs> broadly family-friendly podcast? And um, then I guess the it's size not. of it, yeah. You say what you want. Okay, fine. <laughs> but basically, yeah, no, they quite enjoy having. So I think they call you the cock spot. Uh, basically, you know, like, have you spotted a male like MP in a urinal, or whatever? Can you tell us what oh their penis God. is like? <laughs> But also, yeah, so I chatted to them about that and they said, but the one thing about this kind of recurring like column that we do is that we never write it up if it's a small dick. Right. Like we just think it's generally like, you know, it's just kind of funny, you know, funny and amusing and a bit gross if we talk about, you know, this guy has like, you know, a weirdly huge penis. And it doesn't that way, show like, and highlight though as well how male dominated politics is? I think that, yeah, they do definitely still do like stuff on female politicians, but it'd be quite hard to like get away with stuff like that, I think. Yeah, that's just reminded me actually of, you know, obviously it's really doom and gloom and every time you log on to Twitter, 
Twitter, it's like, oh, the world. One thing that made me really kind of just laugh, the rumour about Boris Johnson and Bibbling. <laughs> That was so good. I loved I really it. Enjoyed it. So, okay, so please join my campaign. I have been saying for about two years now that what we really, really need is a really good sex scandal. You know, so I'm saying, you know, basically not a thing that's like me too and non-consensual ever, something entirely consensual. I'm thinking basically two boring people, maybe from different parties or like, you know, one MP and one journalist, whatever, and with a really weird sex act, mm-hmm. just like, you know, they're into something super weird and entirely consensual, but somehow in the public interest, unclear how. And, you know, like, yeah, maybe people, I don't know, like shagging in a studio, whatever, because again you have to think of like how do you get to publish this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think yeah we just really need like the last one we had was Stephen Crabb in 2016 the sexting one which wasn't that fun like the only bit of it that was quite good is the fact that his sex got published and one of them was I want to kiss you everywhere which is just such mm. a cringe sex but yeah so we, we've not had a lot to go on since no. and so I think yeah a good sex scandal is what the nation needs in this time of a we really really do and actually I'm going to follow this by my like devil's advocate question that I'd written down because I was like I'm interested in what you think because this is just something that was at the back of my mind. So I love a bit of gossip and I also love like a weird little like tweet that goes viral and stuff like that. But I was wondering, is it a distraction sometimes or could it be, for example, with Trump and his weird little viral stories that, you know, things that he does that we laugh at, like that tweet he did, like coffee or whatever. Mm. Do you reckon that could take away from like something really important that day that we then miss? I don't know, totally. And I think so that one actually journalist made a really interesting point which I put in the book. So it was, obviously like that feels like it was a million years ago. Liam Fox back, you know, in, I want to say 2012, but could basically be like 1972. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the whole like Adam Werity scandal to the fact that he'd kind of brought this man with him on lots of like official trips, ministerial trips, etc. And so there can be like a security risk, whatever. And that story turned very, very quickly into that, ooh, like, you know, is a minister having an affair with a man? Is that what's going on? And, you know, and kind of turned very, very gossipy and really like, you know, scandalous. When actually, you know, it was genuinely a very, very serious story about who is this person? Why did he have access to such high level meetings? And I think other, I can't remember the details, but other countries were involved as well. So, you know, there's kind of like an intelligence angle to it as well. So it was meant to be some genuinely very serious scandal, which just turned into he <laughs> is, yeah, is this politician sleeping with a man? Um, yeah. So I do think that can happen quite often, but I think... I remember mm. that and I think that... Uh, like a handkerchief was found in a coat pocket or something. So yeah, was like no, something, exactly, yeah. Like it was weird stuff like that and everyone was really into it in and a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I do think there's a tendency to obviously focus on that, but how do I do like the, the counter-argument on the counter-argument, I guess? So the media gets criticised quite often for, again, you know, focusing on the tittle-tattle and focusing on the kind of, you know, the posh gossip, effectively. But the problem is that I think that's also what the public care about. And, you know, and people famously, like especially I think for quite a long time, you could probably make the case that, you know, we just need that very serious, like coverage of policy and stuff before the internet fine you know you could probably make that case and you know people bought papers anyway now with the internet we know exactly what bits of newspapers people read and what bits they don't read and we basically know for a fact that they don't really read the really dry policy stuff so if they're interested in politics most of the time they'll want to read the quite colourful stuff so mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's a problem because yeah at society level not just um, not just the kind of elite or the, the media or the political bubble yeah because I wonder how much a, a piece of gossip would actually change your mind in a big way on something I can't really imagine it would you know if you've got a view and you know how you're going to vote or you're you're quite set in your ways I mean if you heard a little bit of gossip about someone you really respected I don't know would that put you off 
them? I think it would. So one of the interesting interviews I did, uh, haven't you heard, is with someone who used to work for Guido Fawkes, so the oh, kind of, yeah. Yeah, political gossip blog, which has been controversial because it, it, it is quite nasty and has published some, you know, quite sexist um, and just generally like quite nasty stuff in the past. But that person did make quite an interesting point and said that, you know, at Guido, we had one rule, which was that no story is too small because actually whatever we publish, even if it's a tiny detail about someone, like a silly, tiny story, it tells you more about the character of that person. And actually in politics, the sort of person you are matters immensely in terms of what you're going to do, you know, once you win your seat or once you're a minister, whatever, like it matters more than it would in perhaps like other other jobs and other professions. So I think that there is the thing in politics which is quite different of who you are as a person does actually really matter. So, you know, so as a result, it's it's fair play for basically people to publish that. And also, and it has been kind of proved time and time again, people, when they go to vote every election, basically no one reads the manifesto of each party line by line to see what they agree with and disagree with. That a lot of it is, you know, is a lot of it is going to be about identity and values and everything, but it is going to be about, you know, who's the leader of that party? Do I like them? Do they seem, you know, that, that's why mm. the frequent question is, you know, would I go for a pint with them? Or, you know, would I go to the pub with them and my local MP or the other candidates that, you know, who seems to be the better person, most trustworthy, whatever. So it is massively in politics about the character of people, which is why I think gossip matters. It's an interesting one because I really care about an individual behind like a big corporation or behind, you know, a party or whatever. And I remember Obama, you know, he was that guy that you were like, we'd be friends and he would come to my dinner party and we'd get on. And I guess the, the argument against that was like, sometimes that can be used as like a tool to cover up not doing their job. I don't mm. think he didn't do his job though. But it just seems like how much does that matter? But clearly it does. I think it does. And I think it's always what I found actually really interesting was in the summer during the Tory leadership contest. So you basically had all those people who normally would basically at worst sneer and at best kind of, you know, slightly criticise people who are maybe not very political, like normal voters who do think, you know, along the lines of, you know, would I go to the pub with that person? Yes, then I'll vote for them or no, then I won't vote for them. Then so yeah, all those people kind of got together and then, you know, Rory Stewart turned up. I feel like I'm putting it like I was not one of those people. I was definitely one of those people. But, you know, so many people kind of clearly went, Rory Stewart, isn't he great? Isn't he interesting? And he did not have a policy platform. Rory Stewart is basically a man who happened to be very interesting and clearly sort of quite charming and engaging. And you could see yourself having an amazing dinner with him and he'd have so many anecdotes about Iraq and Afghanistan and whatever. So, So I think that everyone at different levels, and it is partly about, you know, I think class or age or whatever, but you do have to have, I think, that human connection. And yeah, and politicians absolutely play on it as well. But again, Again, because if someone just turned up, you know, Theresa May, I think, was slated for that. And it's quite gendered as well, because I think a man maybe wouldn't have been as criticised for it as she was. But it was a thing. Theresa May, she's very cool. She doesn't really chat to people. You know, we don't really know who she is as a person. What's her hinterland? That, you know, why does she never crack a joke? So I think, you know, if you don't have it, then you get slated for it. Yeah. And then the Boris Johnson character thing is like the other end of the spectrum, I guess, where people are like, he almost puts on, I've heard, this character. Like, it is. Every time, you know, someone I know has like seen him out and about he'll be like dropping things and kind of an act it kind of is but again you know there's also the thing of people what voters i guess in general think that there's a slight issue in that you know they normally don't want to like identify as politicians so you know people who just turn up and like say the line and then leave again whatever so they want people who are quite human but then obviously you don't i think you could argue that at the same time when politicians end up acting quite human they're like why are you doing this you know what's going on this is really unprofessional but still i think you know the broader point is that they do i think people do want politicians that sort of act human but also yeah 
yeah, but but in a way that's very precise. Yes, you know, yes, precise you can't go human. like yeah, exactly. So I think that's why you end up in a weird way, probably as a politician, having to rebuild another personality on top of your actual personality that is, you know, that 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 looks a bit human, but not but not too human either. Yeah, don't like what what did he do? Like strap himself into a harness and float down oh, something. Yeah, that's just the image I have in my head all the time. <laughs> But I wanted to ask you about how journalism has changed over the years and how that impacts how we hear about this gossip. And it sounded like it was more innocent back in the day when you would read a column and it would be like that one column that you love and you'd get a little bit of juice and you'd talk down the pub with your friends about it. And now it feels like Twitter and and the fact that so many websites have died and, and come back to life and gone again. It's like where we get our information is so scattered. And it's like, could we just hear something that's just like a total lie now? Mm. I know, definitely. And I think that also looking at it, so like kind of looking at the other side of the kind of wonkish side within Westminster, I think the fact that there are so many more publications at the moment, and again, publications that kind of, you know, pop up and everyone starts reading them and then they kind of somehow disappear again 18 months later, etc., means that I think there's a less, and, and I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, to be honest, but kind of probably a less, not quite close, but less trustworthy, I guess, relationship between those journalists and politicians. And that there's an example which, to be completely honest with you, I cannot remember if I put in the book or not because I wrote the book ages ago and it's very hard to remember everything that's in it. But which I quite liked of this political journalist about, I think, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and it's, it's quite a famous story of, was in one of the bars in Parliament and the shadow defence secretary, so it's under Neil Kinnock, was very, very drunk and kind of went up to this journalist and was like, I'm going to quit. I'm quitting the front bench. I disagree with the leader on this and this and that. Like, this is it. I'm out, you know, and massive story because I think it was maybe like not too long before an election as well. And what that journalist did was like, okay, look, you're very drunk. I'm not going to do anything with that story. I could, you know, stick it in the overnight paper. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is that I'm going to put you to bed and then I'm going to call you in the morning and we can talk about it. And actually what happened is that, you know, that that poor bloke went to bed, woke up very, very hungover and got a call and was like, hi, are you still resigning? And he said, no, I'm not resigning. So, so I do think that, you know, mm. looking at the, like, the inside view of it, there's a slightly different kind of, and I guess not quite more casual, but casualised, I guess, relationship between yeah. journalists and politicians which obviously will then end up changing the coverage I think to an extent yeah because you wrote a really interesting article for Medium I think maybe a while ago though but it was about how everyone seems to think they have the answer on the state of journalism it it, it was kind of critiquing slightly mocking gently mocking the fact that yeah every and I think it stopped a bit now but we had a few years where again yeah so every three to six months some company would launch or some new website some new magazine whatever and everyone would go this is it they have found you know the sustainable uh, a sustainable model for a new media a company we're also we can all emulate it and then that company would eventually crash and then mm. another one would come up whatever and I think the problem is that we still have no idea how the media is going to go forward and I feel absolutely convinced that the media landscape we have in you know 15-20 years will be unrecognisable by sort of two-day standards yeah it's so so true so I had a question written down here about politics and privilege obviously Ooh. but how you know being in the room with certain people you obviously have to work really hard to get to that point where you're there and you're getting the gossip or you're getting the stories. But do you think that it is still like there's a little bit of a barrier there? Like you have to be in the Ivy Club or you have to be in like this posh bar or whatever to like get the scoops? Or do you think like if you're a young journalist and you don't know anyone yet, you can still get a good story? I think you can. So I think the way 
I'd describe it is that you can definitely, and I think, you know, even as a wider thing, I think you can definitely be a political journalist and not go to the bars and not get, go get drunk with, like, you know, people or go, you know, take them out for lunches and dinners, whatever. So you can definitely, I think, do your job well and have some scoops and whatever. It's just that you're playing your career on hard mode because it, yeah. it will be a lot harder for you to do all this without those kind of social contacts. Everything's um, so much easier with a network, isn't it? No, no, exactly. Like, totally. And I think, yeah, both on the media side and the kind of politics side. But obviously, the issue is that once you try and build those networks and talk to people whatever you will find that basically you know the easiest possible way to do it is if you're a straight posh white man who went to oxford and with you're each probably one, cousins with someone well yeah no, no, exactly yeah <laughs> and he's also yeah the son of an mp and with each bit of that you remove it becomes harder and there's a lot and that was actually quite depressing like talking I mean, even not not for the book just in general but I remember chatting to quite a young female political journalist a few months ago who's absolutely brilliant and she was like yeah I don't go to the bars in parliament with a man after a certain time I try to never have one-on-one drinks with male MPs mm. I've got busy like she had all these rules and it was like but that really sucks because I know for a fact that young male political journalists would have absolutely no qualms doing that because obviously there's no you know no risk of them getting a reputation for it there's no risk of them getting sexually um, assaulted the MP getting the wrong idea and again you know you need to have really those contacts um, and those quite close relationships in order to do your job properly so there's still that and then there's still obviously you know you you will be surprised to hear that you know if you're not from a very posh fancy background the buildings and kind of rooms and atmosphere of parliament are quite intimidating Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I think you know that there is that as well of you know if you're not used to being in those really grand kind of you know like public school basically sort of like rooms and corridors those really grand you know places then it is quite hard I think to be yourself and be comfortable enough to be like, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. You know, I'm X, I know, let's get a pint. Yeah. Um, whereas obviously if you've grown in those spaces, you've grown up in those spaces, then it's probably a lot easier for you to feel at home there. It's really reminded me of, it's, this is absolutely not the same on any level, but I remember when I used to work in an office years ago, when I smoked, this is a long time ago, <laughs> I would go for a cigarette break with someone or like a group of people and the stuff I'd find out, just I'd be like privy to all this new information that people were just casually talking about outside the office and then it really informs you when you go back in and it was like my little hack for so long of like <laughs> oh people like tell their secrets when they're on a cigarette break uh, I still so I I smoked for a very long time and I quit a good few months ago now like, and I generally don't smoke anymore but I usually try to carry a pack of emergency cigarettes I mean I'm going to put my hands up and say I've been known to buy you know a 2am 10 oh, yeah. pack but also yeah, <laughs> the tactical back of I think parties or whatever when sometimes there's someone you want to talk to for whatever reason and actually the only way you can get to talk to them is just by going hey let's go have a cigarette yeah, so, yeah emergency cigarettes tactical cigarettes yeah well we're sharing our secrets now but I wondered as someone who like me I'm assuming does spend a lot of time on social media for the job I mean I'm literally on you know on Twitter a lot do you think that the way that journalism has changed means that we don't have like these in real life kind of opportunities as much as we used to I feel like people used to go for like five hour lunches Mm. and I I miss those days of when there was like a lot more money in media that you could just kind of I don't know spend six months on on one article Mm. I know definitely so one of the things so I've got two points the one the slightly less serious one is that I'd always been obsessed with the kind of you know the idea of the heyday of Fleet Street where yeah again you can go to these like endless lunches and basically stop working quite early on and get quite pissed and whatever Um, and so last summer when I did the interviews for the book so I didn't basically give myself quite enough time to do them all because I ended up interviewing 84 people in nine weeks wow Uh, yeah that was very stupid would not recommend it (laughs) but I did end up basically spending my entire summer because it was across like July and August and early September doing so occasionally like coffees I've seen the morning and afternoon but basically like quite boozy lunches every day uh, for two months 
I felt so unwell by the end of it. I hated it so much. Like literally one of the last lunches I did was with Francis Ween, who's the wonderful, wonderful deputy editor of Private Eye. But obviously, so we got to the restaurant and he was like, okay, well, we can split a bottle. And I was like, oh God. Um, and then we finished the bottle of white. And he was like, oh, come on, you know, let's just have one last glass for like with dessert. And I was like, I, I can't. I genuinely, I cannot. So yeah, so the, the answer to that first thing is that <laughs> turns out actually the head, like, yeah, heyday, like fun olden days of journalism. I do not know how anyone felt, you know, didn't feel really physically gross at all times because I felt horrible. That's actually uh, good to know just because I daydream <laughs> about it. And actually, you're right. Like when you actually trial it, not good. No, I hated it. I hate that. I mean, I can do like maybe a week of it, but then I hated it. The more serious thing, I think social media is quite an interesting thing in terms of the media, because on the one hand, I think it has been a really good way in for a lot of people. And, I, you know, and I'm absolutely certain that I wouldn't be, especially in political journalism, at where I am today if it hadn't been for Twitter because I didn't have the connections I didn't have you know like, I don't know the aunt who was an editor somewhere whatever um, and I think that I did manage to kind of find my path and make my voice heard by being on social media so much and I know for a fact that lots of people have had that as well you know that has massively helped but again yeah no, I agree with you I think the wider structural thing of the fact that papers just don't really have any money anymore is a problem and I'm finding that especially because I yeah so again I don't really do news I do features there are so many pieces I've written where of course I know I'm, I'm happy with them you know they're published I'm not ashamed of them in any way but if I could have spent a few more days talking to more people, having more of a think about it, doing more research, whatever, they probably could have been like absolutely brilliant and like they were good basically, but they could have been, I feel they could have been like really, really good, but I just didn't have the money. I just physically couldn't afford to spend that extra mm-hmm. time doing it. So I think, and you know, and I know I'm definitely that like, far from the only person who's got this problem. I definitely have that mm. problem. And I think sometimes if an editor knows that people are going to read it anyway and the headline's really strong and it's like a, a just something people will read, it's almost like why would they spend the money making it like a beautiful I know and I feel like they kind of rely on your ego as well of being like we know that we're going to pay you like shit but we know that you don't want to publish something that you're ashamed of so we know that you'll put in the work even though like you're not paid enough for it and it's like that's a nice business model you have here just like relying on the slight desperation of journalists well you know when I worked at a magazine that will not be named that I left in the end I refused to put my name on the articles because I was like, the stuff you're making me... It wasn't like bad or offensive or, mm. or terrible. It was just so bland that I was just like, I don't want my name on this. So mm. I, it's like a, reads like a press release type thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably a good idea because I, um, again, there was like some shifts I did somewhere. Well, I didn't do that. And I, and the pieces, again, are so bad, but like not, yeah, like they're just, like they're not incorrect or whatever, racist <laughs> and anything, but they're just so dull yeah. and so basic. And I think if you, yeah, if We've you know where to find them, you can. Around. And I'm just like, oh man, then I'm, I reread them occasionally to keep me humble. <laughs> and they are so bad. <laughs> I have a nosy question just because you are such an expert in politics. I, I've wondered what you thought about this. I was once told that to get more, make more of an impact when you're talking about young people getting into politics, it's better to remain party neutral and just like drive people to vote and like concentrate on the voting concentrate on like get into politics make your own decision you are in control rather than be like posting a picture of a logo or a party or whatever what do you think about that do you think you should absolutely like hammer at home your views or do you think it's kind of good to be like I have my views but you have yours and let's just vote well, so in terms of specifically getting young people involved you mean yeah or- like if you were like on some sort of drive to yeah. get young people in would you would you say who you're voting for 
Ah, oh, that's a really good question, actually. I'd be tempted to say, and you know, and maybe so like this is um, this is genuinely like opinion. I'm not, you know, it's not like a topic of expertise. But I would say so occasionally, obviously, you know, we've all seen at election time, like everyone being like the slightly patronising sort of post of like, yeah, hey, young people, like doesn't matter who you're voting for, just get into that voting booth. Get out of bed. Um, yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, haha. <laughs> and and I, I don't know. And again, that's just my personal thing. But part of me is that, well, actually, people who don't currently vote, who currently have no plans of voting, probably have no plans uh, to vote because they don't feel politics is relevant to them or you know is going to change their lives or whatever so I'm not sure you know I'm not sure how convincing you are like you are being by just saying hey just go vote in general I would say that probably I think saying hey actually you should go vote because you know I don't know and you can go I think the positive or negative route of being like either like you know this party is offering you know for you like a 19 year old or whatever offering this and this and that and this is how it's going to change or say well, actually you know the fuckers over there plan to do this and this and that to just stop them and vote for someone else or whatever like I would yeah I would personally imagine that actually telling people why you know why it's relevant to them mm. it's probably like, it's less easy obviously yeah but I think it's probably a better way of doing it so how's it been with the book coming out because I know that well we were joking earlier about how David Cameron's book has just come mm. out as well it's been quite weird because obviously yeah, and I feel like you'll you'll have this as well but being a journalist I think the longest I've ever ever had to wait for a piece of mine to get published after having written it is maybe like a month and I finished writing the book last Christmas so I think part of me is like this is not my book like I mean it's a it's a thing that exists but you know it's not mine I can't remember what's in it um, so then yeah there's a part of the thing I think that, that is slightly absurd what I think I spent all of spring last uh, this year sorry being quite antsy and being like oh my god I, you know I've written a book holy shit ah ah but no it, it's been really pleasant and what's made me really happy is that I really wanted the book to be very accessible I think a lot of books I get written about politics and you know and there's no problem with that but do very much get written for an audience that is already interested in politics and is just like hey you already like all of this but check out this one niche bit I've written a book about effectively whereas I did really want this to be accessible to people who maybe have a bit of an interest in it so you know might I don't know watch Newsnight sometimes or whatever like occasionally catch up on Twitter and see what's going on but are not so like super nerds and I've started having like reviews on like websites and etc from people saying actually I didn't know if this would be for me because you know like I'm quite interested in politics but I don't know a lot about it but I found this really interesting and I feel like I know a lot more now and it wasn't patronising I just feel like I've learned a lot mm, and that that's how I felt really, really, oh thank you that's that makes me really happy because that's exactly what I wanted like, I kind of wanted because yeah I am obviously quite enthusiastic about politics and I guess I kind of wanted to share it and you know and the, obviously the book opens with a quote from a former political advisor saying the thing that you know is really conveyed that publicly about politics is that it's really fun and can be really frustrating and dry sometimes it's also like occasionally like fun and funny and you know thrilling and that's kind of the sense I wanted to put in the book. Yeah, because I heard you say maybe on another podcast that, and maybe I'm paraphrasing this, sorry, but that you can be interested in politics and have a really good career in politics, but you don't have to be absolutely glued to the screen. Something about having a little bit of distance sometimes. Yeah, so obviously, like, I think, well, A, the really obvious thing is that I didn't grow up in this country. So whatever happens, no matter how long I stay, I will always kind of be like, oh, yes, the Brits are at it again. So I think there's, yeah, there's that. Um, and there's also the fact so I've never been I've never been the lobby so the lobby journalists who are busy the dedicated political journalists in each publication who have a special pass and have access to kind of like number 10 press briefings etc so and can go into parliament themselves unaccompanied I've never been that for a bunch of different reasons so I think that I've always been a slight outsider sounds way um, more fun what you do it is and it, it honestly it is and I think that I've never seen myself yeah, as, as a complete 
complete insider, I guess. And also, yes, yeah, so every job I've had has been sort of like politics and so Evening Standard is like politics, but mostly kind of like political gossip. Then at BuzzFeed, I was also doing stuff around the media and kind of reporting on the media. And then obviously being freelance, I occasionally do like a bunch of other stuff and I'm not based in Westminster. So I do feel like, to borrow actually a very poetic French expression, I've got my arse stuck between two chairs. Um, <laughs> the language of love. <laughs> but it sounds much better in French. <laughs> so if someone listening to this is kind of watching like the news a bit and and kind of knowing what's going on a little bit with the news at the moment but wants to get into politics more what would you recommend as like a starting point just to kind of ease in a little bit more to politics oh that's a good question so what i'm finding quite helpful at the moment is so politico does a thing called the playbook which is an email you get every morning basically kind of telling you yeah mostly telling you sort of like what happened the day before and what and what's going to probably happen like um on, on the actual day so it sends it like really early in the morning because it's, it's quite long and quite thorough and so depending on the morning you're having the day you're having what time Types of politics news is happening you can either be like okay fine I'm going to properly sit down and read it so like half an hour and even like Google because it's got links normally actually to the relevant stories to do that or again you can just skim read it mm. um but, you know, but whatever happens, you've got a decent idea of what's going on at any given time. So I think that's quite... Cause I, you know, I miss stuff as well, like everyone else. And I think just find quite interesting people to follow on Twitter, because I think that... I'm trying to think, so even I still find quite a lot of politics quite dry, because I've got no attention span to speak of. So the current, like, you know, at the time of recording, the, court, the big court case that's happening in the Supreme Court. I can't watch that. I can't watch court. Mm-hmm. That's very boring. <laughs> like, so I think, yeah, just generally trying to find quite interesting people on Twitter is basically how I got into it, like, mm-hmm. properly, and in, in the sort of, like, you know, daily obsession with it just finding quite entertaining people is probably the best way I think to get more into it yeah amazing thank you I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out I love how I'm like for the people listening (laughs) me I find like I'm a bit of a sticking my head in the ground person at the moment I need to read more oh well thank you so so much for talking to me especially as I'm so clueless about politics but that's really super interesting thank you and to people listening if you are interested in more please go and buy Marie's amazing book haven't you heard gossip power and how politics really works amazing thank you so so much oh thanks for having me thank you